The Good Neighbor Network, FM 101.9 and AM 1450 Murfreesboro, FM 100.5 Smyrna, and online at WGNSRadio.com. This is the WGNS Action Line, talking with Rutherford County newsmakers about what matters most to you. Now your host, Bart Walker. Well, good morning to you. Welcome into the Action Line from WGNS. This morning on the program, we're going to be talking with some friends from the Rutherford County Sheriff's Office, and we're going to be talking about uh, reducing drug overdoses and deaths with uh, RCSO Detective James McFerrin. He's with us this morning, and along with James, the Stop Strategist and Tactics for Opioid Prevention. That's a lot of what he does. Sergeant James Davis is with us also, and... Erica Feemeister, or Feemister, is, which is it? Feemister? Yes. Okay. <laughs> or maybe I wasn't even close. I well, don't. It's technically Herndon now, but okay. close enough. Well, we'll <laughs> Feemister Herndon? <laughs> okay. We'll just take off Feemister and put in Herndon. Uh, so is that recent? Uh, um, less than a year, so yeah. Okay. <laughs> well, congratulations. Thank you. Uh, we're going to be talking about uh, drugs and problems. Is this a growing problem, or are we starting to see it slack off? I mean, in a dream, I guess we could see it slack off. It has its ups and downs. Like, oh, really? We mm, do have some downs. Yeah. Some downs, but it normally it comes back. Like right now, we're on a we're kind of on a down right now. But it's uh, probably as the springtime and everything comes back around, you're going to get people traveling, COVID restrictions back, and all things like that things are going to come back so if you travel around the use of drugs goes up it does what causes that I mean, that's how how narcotics are trafficked uh, the more people can travel the more narcotics can be brought in and out of places I, I guess it's a lot of people have seen this series on television dope stick i believe it is uh, which stick. is how about uh, how the opioids got started uh, supposedly i guess it's accurate uh, does that is that where this all began? When, when I'm, that- I've actually never seen that show. Y'all seen it? I've never I've never seen it. The uh, I can tell you the reason why we're in the one we're in right now is because of the oxycotton. That's which is the what the, mm-hmm. the whole show's about. Yeah, the Purdue Pharma, the ox, the whole oxycotton uh, ordeal. And that company's still alive mm-hmm. and kicking. Sort oh. of. <laughs> the uh, owners are just got opened up civilly uh they've started going after the actual uh family they had a family trust that's kind of how they got that business started and they actually just started going after them civilly okay uh how big of a problem is oxycontin the big problem or is it everything it was then it's 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 not even here anymore really Mm -hmm. okay so what did that graduate people did people get hung up on Oxycontin, and then somebody created something new? Mm-hmm. Good. Well, and kind of what happened is that Oxycontin became more difficult to get um, because of being able to get prescriptions from pharmacies. So, obviously, people are going to get sick from not using Oxycontin, so they resort to heroin or fentanyl or the next best thing. So, when you say sick, they're having withdrawals. Correct. So is that the same thing as sick? Do we look at withdrawals as an illness? Withdrawals yeah. can be fatal. 
Mm-hmm. Yes. Mm-hmm. Really? Mm-hmm. That can be. I mean, she's absolutely right. It started with the whole pain pill ordeal. Then doctors started prescribing less and less. The The federal government started coming down on them. The DEA started controlling everything a little more. And then once those got to, to the point where it was hard for them to get out on the streets, people resorted to heroin and whatnot because it was so much cheaper. Like they could not afford to be buying pain pills out on the street because at one point in time they were a dollar milligram or higher is what they were going for on the street and people couldn't afford that so they turned to what was cheaper and kept them from going through withdrawals which is heroin. Now for a person who is not on drugs but they've had say an operation or something and a medication is prescribed to them in case they have pain is it possible for them to get hooked on drugs and not realize that yes. they had a problem? Yes, very much so. It's Is that a normal entry into drugs nowadays? The doctors now are supposed to have a plan to bring patients off of opioids. They're, the DEA's put in a ton of restrictions that have been passed down to the doctors as well. They are supposed to have some sort of plan in place uh, for once they bring their patient off of opioids. They're supposed to have some kind of, uh, it's not a really a rehabilitative plan, it's just a, a like a weaning off period and things like that. And now they're so restricted, they are barely prescribing what will get you by. And that that supposedly that's what helps keep the numbers down now, but it's uh, it's not a perfect system. Now, when you talk about opioids, and we hear about opioid addiction, and that's the, the big direction right now, what goes into that category? I mean, so that if you're prescribed painkillers, uh, what is an opioid so you'll know, there, oh, I need to be careful with there that? There are so many opioids. Have you got a list right there with you? Oh, the t- well, the the... Some of these are street drugs, but the oxycodone, oxymorphone, hydrocodone. There's also um, opana. Um, you have the, you have several. Uh, there are so many different brands and different generic. Generic drugs. Yeah, that you, it would be impossible for me to list them all because I mean there are literally hundreds of them. So if if you're prescribed a medication to ease pain from an operation is it usually an opioid or what what is it it depends now the doctors can go several different ways they can uh opioid is your main that is your main pain painkiller pill there is but they have also started using like different uh different medications uh to try to keep people from going on opioids but I, I'm no doctor. That's kind of that's outside yeah, of my right. realm. But you see this mm-hmm. on probably more than anybody else's. Mm-hmm. Probably more than the doctors have seen it. I'd say uh, the three of us do. Yeah. <laughs> what do you? How, how do you know that you've gotten hooked? If somebody's mm-hmm. listening and they've had some pain pills, when do you know? That's a better question for her. <laughs> I mean, I would say you know you know when you're starting to make that substance a priority in your life so you start changing your behaviors your everyday schedule um, to be able to make sure you have that substance Um, and I know um, from what I hear 
talked about is that a lot of people don't even realize that they're hooked until they don't have it and they start seeing the withdrawal symptoms and wondering why they're sick. So if you are not able to get it, your, your prescriptions have all run out. Is that what happens? And you can't get it. And then you, what do you do? Try to buy it on the streets or? Yeah, there's yeah, mm-hmm. several different ways you can go about it. <laughs> yeah. It's kind of an odd question. That's why we're all kind of laughing at it. Um, there are several different ways the, to tag on to what she says. Once it's a priority in your life, whether you know how to or not, you will figure out a way. And that's kind of how addiction works. Um, you know, what happens is, is it the the whole part of addiction is it changes the way that your your brain actually functions. There's tons of scientific study on what illicit street drugs will do to the the human mind, and basically what the the thing that most people don't understand about it is it severs the connection between your frontal lobe and your medulla, if I'm saying that right. And what that does is your conscious part of your frontal lobe is like makes good decision good judgment don't do that because it's wrong you know things like that once you kind of sever that connection the reward center of your brain is the part that's in control so a good way to describe it is the first time that you that you do these kind of drugs it's on you and once you continue that use you're not really in control anymore the reward center of your brain is and if you have nothing that can stop that that's how people become addicted to things now, if a person is addicted to drugs, do they also have a tendency to be addicted to alcohol and other things in life? Um, addictive personalities are different person, Each one person to person. Different, okay. Mm-hmm. What kind of a cost are we looking at? I'm trying to figure out when they get hooked, mm-hmm. uh, how, how soon everything. do they get out of the money end of it? Um, everything. A person who gets addicted will... They will do whatever it takes to continue to get it on their own, even if it means destroying their own life. When they get help from family members, they'll do. They'll continue doing what they're doing, even if it destroys the lives of their family members and significant others and children. Because you have to think about it. The, the adult part of their brain is no longer in control. The child side of their brain, the reward center, the part that says, hey, do this because then we're not going to feel bad anymore. You can't, when that's in control, you you will do anything. It doesn't matter. It doesn't matter who you're with or what you're doing. You will do anything. So you, you will steal, you'll take from your mm-hmm. family members. Sounds like you'd even kill your family members. Uh, you, you, it may not be like a murder type situation, but you, you may just destroy them by, you know, financially, um, emotionally, mentally, things like that. And so when that happens, uh, you you'd rob for the drug dealers. Uh, you would commit crimes for the drug dealers to get the the opioids. You could you could say absolutely. What eighty probably eighty eighty five percent of all property crime is probably driven by narcotics. Uh, we've talked about this before, but things changed. If you looked at the number of people incarcerated at the Rutherford County Adult Detention Center. How many of those would be there, percentage-wise, guesstimate, of uh, how many would be there because of drugs? That's a that's a good question. Yeah. That's something you'd really have to look into because I mean, at any um, you look at our department at any point in time, we have just tens of thousands of different um, active warrants open 
at, at any time for you know people that are are warrants divisions actively looking for to be arrested you have people that are being ordered to be to turn themselves in by a judge for all kinds of different things so i, I couldn't even answer what what percentage that would uh-huh. be Hmm. Okay. Well, let's look at a different uh, perspective of this. If you're on drugs and you're wanting to get clean, do they ever want to get clean on their own, or do they? Okay. Well, don't don't shake your head. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> we can't we can't hear that on the radio. <laughs> yes, absolutely. Um, and that's what you know. I work really closely with um, the Stop Task Force at the Rutherford County Sheriff's Office. Um, So when they come across individuals who are struggling with opioids or any substance um, and they do want help, that's where I come in and um, give them the resources to be able to do that. Now, are these programs that help them get off of drugs, are they, do they really do a good job? I mean, are they really effective or are you hooked forever? I don't think anyone, I mean, it's not up to myself or anyone else to determine someone's willingness to get sober or get off of any substance that they're on. Um, you know, my job, how I look at it is I'm planting a seed, um, and it's not necessarily up to the programs. There are many, many, many programs across the nation, um, that are viewed at as exceptional. There are some that are not exceptional, um, but it's really got to be up to that individual to take what they need and leave the rest and actually put those practices that they're learning in these programs into their actual life when they leave. Now, you are with the Prevention Coalition for Success. Uh, Are there a lot of choices here in Rutherford County that somebody who's hooked on drugs uh, can look at for a way to get off of drugs? Not necessarily in Rutherford County, but in the Middle Tennessee area and in Tennessee in general, there are quite a few inpatient, outpatient programs um, that help individuals with substance use disorder. Um, And normally, you know, when I work with JD um, and the other officers on the STOP team, um, we're able to get people in pretty quickly and provide transportation if someone needs to go across the state. Okay, now you mentioned STOP team which is uh, strategist and tactics for opioid prevention. Sergeant James Davis uh, is here representing that group. Uh, Tell us a little about the STOP team and what you do. Okay, Um, our unit is um, a proactive unit um, to help opioid prevention. Um, Basically what we do is we go out to areas that we know that are known for drug use. Um, We try to make contact with individuals um, that have an addiction um, and take a different approach of law enforcement towards that. Um, so basically we're not trying to take everyone to jail who has drug charges or has drugs on them. We're more of a proactive unit for education and getting them into treatment, things of that nature. Um, but like Erica said a while ago, it's, we tell them it's a choice. They have to make that choice. We can't make it for them. So there's a lot of them that want to go to rehab that it's not successful for them, but they're also not at that place in their life where they want to make that choice to be better. So they have to be the one who wants the change. Yes. Yes, we can't make them go. It's just an option. And if we give them that option and they say they want to go to rehab, then we make that have what mostly Erica makes that happen right then. 
It and looks like you have some pretty powerful, persuasive uh, <laughs> tools. So, okay, which do you want? Do you want to go to class and change your life, or do you want to go to jail? Well, here, and here's the thing: it, it, we're not trying to use it not, as not um, everybody's. Not everybody's. The everybody that he talks to doesn't isn't like they're stopping them and they find drugs on them. They go to these areas and they have. There are tons of people in the community that they know are addicted to drugs and they will go talk to them proactively it's not like uh, we go out and find drugs on you and then try to make it a choice that you don't really have a choice in right they actually go out and communicate with these people because you'll find that the majority of them people don't treat them like people anymore Mm -hmm. that is the problem if you treat them like people you can get a lot further with them because they go the majority of their lives once they have an addiction to being treated like an addict and not being treated like a person there it's still a person behind that you know even a person that steals something from somebody else it's still a person behind that that person can do something wrong and still have remorse for it you you know that's what a lot of people don't don't see is there are still people behind those people you know what kind of price if we were going to put a street price on how much this is costing individuals to be hooked on drugs how much are they spending, say, a week, a month, uh, on drugs? Is it some? It, that would be drug drug dependent. It'd be it's very drug dependent. So whatever they're using, mm-hmm. be very drug mm-hmm. big difference in prices. Mm-hmm. Yes, mm-hmm. sir. So, well, and like Jamie said, I mean, um, people will do whatever they can to get it. So it depends on what they have, what they're using, how much they can get, who their connections are. Um, so it really. I mean, it really just depends. Okay. What their habit is for the day. Mm-hmm. So some it them, changes pretty Yeah, regular. some of them use more than others per day. Some of them use other drugs to help kind of prolong them from having withdrawals. Because you'll find it's not uncommon now to find a heroin user who uses methamphetamine to kind of prolong that getting sick part of the withdrawal. Okay. Tell you what let's do. Let's pause for just a moment, check on the traffic and weather. We will be back. And when we come back, if you have any questions, if you have any comments, this will be your chance. Our phone number is 615-893-1450. Don't be bashful and don't wait until the last few minutes of the program to ask your questions. Ask them now. You can text the questions in. You can call them in. All at 615 893 1450. Stay with us. We'll be right back. All that's news with Matt Lane. Weekday afternoon. WGNS, your good neighbor station. Rutherford County's place to talk. By growing up in the restaurant business and being always around it, it was just something that was just second nature to me. I didn't realize the amount of work that was involved in it. I, I didn't understand and appreciate all that my parents sacrificed in order to provide for us. And now I'm very thankful and, I, and I'm very appreciative of the foundation that they laid for me so we could teach others to create what they have done to make it more of a legacy than just a passing of the torch. This is Peter Demas inviting you to enjoy a meal with our family at Demas's Restaurant. Hi, this is Dan with Music World and Drummer's Den. I'm the guitar tech here. We're a pretty well-rounded music store. We have every guitar, keyboard, drum that you might be looking for. Parts are available, strings, accessories. We also have lessons, $25 for a half hour of keys, anything with strings and drums. It's all here, Music World and Drummer's Den. We're your hometown music store. 
Music World and Drummer's Den, 2762 South Church, right across from Indian Hills Golf Course. It's so important that we recognize our veterans, shake their hands and say how proud we are of the service that they have given to our country and that we thank them for that. I am Becky Bookner and we salute our veterans. WGNS proudly salutes and remembers our U.S. veterans who have served our country. We're talking with Glenn King. How old were you when you enlisted? Barely 17. In this salute, we talked to a veteran who served in the Korean War. After I got out, eventually ended up working for the federal government. I worked in Huntsville, Alabama at the Army Missile Command. Ended up managing several of the major air defense missile systems. One was the Stinger and the Red Eye, shoulder-held missile systems. Then there was the Nike Hercules. And then from there, the Hawk missile. And the last system that I had was the Patriot. And the Patriot missile, it, it was highly classified for a long time until the Gulf War. The missiles you're talking about, these are things that are in history books. Well, they're still using some of the systems like the Red Eye and the Stinger. They're heat seekers. You were on the ground floor, so to speak, of seeing these missiles and how they operate and how they're going to be used. One of the things that I was very, very involved in is the training of the armed forces as to how to use the missile systems. Back then, we didn't have any enemies that were trying to encroach on us where we needed to use them. So it wasn't until the Gulf War that we got to use some of them. This has been a WGNS Salute to Veterans with World War II and Korean War veteran Glenn King. Restoration One of Middle Tennessee. A team of experts and immediate responders who help homeowners after disaster strikes. After disaster strikes. Fire, water, or storm damage. We can help you get your life back to normal quickly. RestorationOneMiddleTennessee.com. Locally and veteran owned. We're News Radio WGNS 100.5, 101.9, 1450. Online and on your phone at WGNSRadio.com. Welcome back. We are talking this morning about drugs and drug use here in Rutherford County. Visiting with us this morning, Detective James McFerrin from the Rutherford County Sheriff's Office. Also, Sergeant James Davis from the STOP program. And Erica Herndon from Prevention Coalition for Success. And uh, most of the drugs, I, I'm getting this, that most of them are opioids. Is that correct? Most of the drugs that are out there today. Most of the drugs that you're going to hear about causing the biggest problem is going to be opioids. Mm -hmm. Okay, and, and just for uh, clarification, what is the difference in an opioid and, and what other kinds of drugs would you use? Yeah, opioids, <laughs> benzodiazepines, uh, methamphetamines, hallucinogens. Um, alcohol. Yeah, alcohol would be one as well. I mean, you, they're... There's almost as, as many problems with alcohol as there is with Ill, illicit street drugs. I mean, you there's a number of different number of different drug categories out there, but we pretty much see them all. And a lot of people um, 
a lot of people talk about some of them not being as bad as others and everything else, but I can still tell you that I know for a fact that we have had several uh, shootings and things like that that were involved with illicit street drugs that people think is not a big problem and want to legalize. And because it, the, of how much money that drug generates when it's sold on the street. So. so when we have shootings here in town, and we seem to have them more often than we used to, are those usually related to drugs in the, some way? The ones that happen inside the city limits, not. I cannot, <laughs> I, I couldn't comment on those because that's out, that's outside of my lane. That would be okay. something for the Murfreesboro Police Department. But I can comment for the fact of, of many of the shootings we have that are in, in, in the county outside of the city limits and things like that. There are many of them that do have to do with drugs and drug use and sales of drugs. And so these people, do they realize that was what motivated this crime? And uh, are, are they we're, just so far We're out? pretty good at figuring that out now. I mean, are, are the people who did it? <laughs> oh, the people who did it? Uh, are they just so far out of it and messed up they don't have a clue what's going on? That, to them, they're just, they're surviving. Their, yeah, they're surviving in their own lifestyle. Okay, mm-hmm. so is there a, a, a telltale reaction that, uh, let's say, parents who are seeing their child go through this or, or a, a spouse who's seeing uh, their husband or wife going through this, uh, something that would alert them, this is really wrong. It's not just a change in the way they're acting. I mean, this, this is a serious disease that they're getting. Are there some, are there some clues that you need to call somebody for help before something really bad happens? Any any thoughts on that? As far as what family sees, mm-hmm. um, I mean, changes in their behavior, changes in their schedule, um, and things going missing. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, the big one really is changes in behavior. Behavior for sure. Okay. There, um, there, there are some physical traits that change too, but you have to know what you're looking for, because the one thing that you cannot hide, if 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 we're talking about opiates, just opiates. Pupils. Yes, your pinpoint <laughs> pupils. You. That's one thing that you cannot hide. That's a uh, that's a reaction that your body has to the use of opioids. That you you can't fake it. You can't hide it. You can't mask it. It's well, what be is there. that again with the pupils? Pinpoint pupils, like very pinpoint pupils. You're talking like the size of a number two pencil lead almost that small you mean their eyes the people in the, the their, their eye will teeny. will constrict um there are tons of people with more experience than me and more training that can explain why that is but that is one of the opioid traits that you cannot hide if they're i'm you looking have, at each other so. <laughs> you have to you have to look okay, at it pass. you have to look at it from the perspective too of of what time of day it is and how much light there is because you're naturally going to your pupils are naturally going to (coughs) contract excuse me and things like that so if you if you notice that they're in a place where their pupils shouldn't be contracted that way like for example if they're in a darker room and whatnot but their pupils are still pinpoint all the time that can be a telltale sign but you would have to be able to plug that in with other physical happenings like where they go on the nod. That's what we, we call it, going on the nod. That's just a way that a term that law enforcement's uh, come up with to kind of describe when they get to the point to where they're kind of passing out and they don't even realize it. Um, they, they may 
they may be talking to somebody or or in mid sentence or something like that, and they may just stop and just all of a sudden start head nodding out and and falling asleep. But that's you would have to know what you're looking for for that kind of stuff. Now, for that to happen, they would be beyond, I would guess, holding a job on a regular basis. You wouldn't see people mm. in work. You, I've seen plenty of functioning um, addicts, plenty, that, hold, so a, that could, hold a job every day and going about their business, and it's just they're addicted to it, and they have to continue to feed that addiction. So you can fool people for a long time. Mm-hmm. You can. That's, yes, that's you can. Funny. Yeah, you can. Uh, and, and are you dangerous to your family? Let's say, let's say you go on the nod. Uh, you've been hiding this. You've been holding your job. Uh, you've been providing, I guess, for the family. You have children. Uh, are you dangerous driving a car and the family's there with you? <laughs> yes. Yes, most definitely. Most definitely. If you're under the influence of, of opiates, you're definitely a danger. And what a lot of people don't understand, and this can be true of your own medication that's prescribed to you by the doctor. If you're under the influence of your own prescription medication or illicit street drug, all of that stuff, you can still be arrested for DUI because you are impaired. Just because you're not impaired by alcohol does not mean you can't be arrested for DUI. And anything that goes with driving under the influence is a danger to not only yourselves and everyone in the car, but society as a whole, wherever you're driving through. Okay. Uh, are the physicians watching this closely enough to know if they uh, have prescribed something that gets a patient hooked? <laughs> I don't know about every doctor. <laughs> I can tell you that. I can tell you that my doctor is very careful about that, but I don't know how every doctor would be. So, how often would they need to? see someone would it be every week or month or quarter or that's a that's a clinical question that i can't answer okay so it, you could slip through the cracks easily it sounds like depending on how depending on how straightforward and and how on top of it your doctor is how soon after starting these drugs if you have an inclination to be uh, on drugs or uh, an addict uh, how soon after you take your first one are you hooked? Drug dependent. Yeah, it's very dependent. much so. Yeah. Okay, so it depends on what drug mm-hmm. you're using. There are methamphetamine and heroin are two drugs that no matter if it's your first time or your tenth time, you will have some sort of... Uh, withdrawal symptom it may it may be very slight to the point where you barely notice it but off of both of those drugs you will have some form of withdrawal symptom and what most people don't understand is that they don't start out wanting to be an addict it just happens they'll start taking one drug one drug leads to another to another and then before they know it they're an addict it's not something that they just set up one morning and say I'm going to be addicted to heroin it just happens now is is our society today uh, does it make it more easy for a person to become an addict than what it was uh, in the times when our grandparents and their parents were growing up or, or has this been a problem pretty much forever two different generations hmm. like 
and that if you're getting into the grandparent generation you're getting into that generation where it was very taboo okay so even if somebody was an addict had that problem it would rarely ever would it come to the public light and they would try to handle a lot of those things on their own and within the family and things like that nowadays especially with the change in society and the change in social media and things like that it's more common for that stuff to be brought into the spotlight so it's one of those things apples and oranges you're comparing it sounds almost like uh, these people are looked at as just normal people in society and maybe social media uh, might even put them on a, a pedestal almost maybe <laughs> you i mean for, with all the games and electronic yeah. games well i when i say social media i mean just all kinds of social media like um, Instagram, Facebook, uh, TikTok. You look at um, YouTube. I mean, there's just so many different social media platforms. You can't, you couldn't even name them all. Is there any light at the end of the tunnel, or are you just seeing this thing explode and continue to grow? You said it fluctuates a little bit, but <sighs> I had a, the feeling it didn't fluctuate a whole lot. That's a good question, but this isn't our first opioid epidemic. This is technically our third opioid epidemic because the first one started when you could back in the back in the late days of the Wild West, whenever you could buy um, morphine and things like that directly off the of shelves of general stores. That was the first opioid epidemic we had, and then the second one was in the 80s, whenever Dilaudid got real big, and then the. The third major one started when Oxycontin came out, but Oxycontin came out in the late 90s, early 2000s, and you look, we're 20 years later, we're still in it. So, technically, it's not the first. Well, and I believe, you know, programs like the STOP team and the grant that I work for through the Prevention Coalition um, and all of the treatment facilities across the nation, um, all of this is to help decrease um, the use in opioids. Um, so, I mean, I can tell you, you know, just working with the STOP team for the past year, you know, over 50% of the referrals that they have sent me have actually been admitted to treatment, which is pretty huge um, because right now the success rate of someone actually being able to get sober um, is less than 10%. So, um, we're making a big dent um, and we hope we can get it to zero, but we got a lot of work to do. We have a text here from a listener who says they have a feeling that their grandson, who is 23 years of age, uh, may be addicted to some type of drugs, and they wanted to thank you for that information you gave about the pupils, and mm -hmm. they're going to watch that. But what they're concerned with is uh, how do they get help, and can they even afford to get the help? This could, they said, we don't have a whole lot of money. Uh, are there programs that are available that are covered uh, for free? I can speak from experience that Erica can, she can help you out with that stuff. We have, we have people that contact us or we make contact with and they say they want to get in and they, and that they need to go right now. And she can make that happen. She has the resources to do that. So what, what do they need to, what would this family's first uh, action need to be? 
Well, I would absolutely be direct with the individual that they think is using. Um, just dancing around it is not the way to go because you will never get a straight answer. Um, and even asking outright, you may not get a straight answer, but at least that individual will know that the family member knows. Mm-hmm. So um, of grandparent, if a grandparent ask the grandchild this, well, what's the child going to, I mean, not a child, 20-something-year-old person, <laughs> uh, well, what kind of reaction would you expect? I mean, it really just depends on the individual. I can tell you I'm in recovery um, and have been for over seven years. Um, So if someone would have asked me straight out, um, then I probably would have denied it in the beginning. Um, But this individual is so young, who knows what they might say. But I can say, you know, if they know their grandparent knows that something is going on, um, then that might give them the opportunity to be able to open up and ask for help. It's when we all try to hide it is when it becomes really difficult. Yeah. I w- just to add on to that, I would say be direct, but be supportive. Because everybody knows in this world you're going to get what you give. And if I, if I were to come at that person angry and trying to ask them a question, mm-hmm. it, that's what I'm going to get back in return. But if I go to them and I say, hey, I see these things and I'm worried about you. And I just want to be supportive and help you, you know, help you to to get to where you need to be, help you achieve your goals, help you. If you need help, I want to, you know, I want to make sure that you get that. Be supportive in that way. Don't don't come at them in a harsh manner because you're, you're always going to get what you give. That's what you need to do then, mm-hmm. be in that, uh, that loving manner. Mm-hmm. We will pause for just a moment, check on the traffic and weather, and we'll be right back with the final segment. We've got your local sports fix. Weekdays at 5, it's all sports talk with Monty Hill Jr. and Tim Tackett here on WGNS. If you're looking for an authentic relationship with financial experts who genuinely care about your unique needs, Capstar Bank is for you. Capstar Bank is dedicated to the people of this community. Capstar Bank wants to help you reach your financial goals. Because at Capstar Bank, you matter to us. Capstar Bank. 2230 Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. Boulevard, capstarbank.com, member FDIC, equal housing lender. When you have fire, water, or storm damage, Fair Construction can help. Fair Construction is also there to help when a car slams through the wall. Call Fair Construction and we'll board up, put down tarps, secure your home or business until the insurance coverage is approved. Call Farrah Construction at 615-893-6120. I'm Ron Hall. Shop local. Let our family business help you. Farrah Construction Company. Time to order your king cake for Mardi Gras. This is Chuck Gandy with Gandy Seafood Company. We offer a variety of flavors. The Gandy Seafood Cajun Market on Memorial Boulevard across from Sportscom. My favorite is pecan praline. For orders, call 615-956-6590. Good morning. Still busy, but it's moving 24 up through the Hickory Hollow area. Tons of radar spotted earlier up and down sections of I-24 through Coffee County. Be careful, especially headed towards Manchester. Warmer weather is waiting for you at Pensacola Beach. Book your next getaway. PensacolaBeach.com. I'm Commander Chuck with your on-time traffic. 
A wind advisory will go into effect here Thursday morning. We'll see partial sunshine developing this afternoon, high in the upper 60s. South winds at 10 to 20, gusting as high as 30. I'm meteorologist Jennifer Wojcicki on News Radio WGNS. Currently, it's 50. This is Sean Brown at Tire World on Broad Street. Did you know we specialize in commercial and fleet business? We're equipped to handle all of your company's automotive needs. Download our Tire World app today for free oil changes and electronic coupons. Come by today for all of your automotive needs. Online at tireworld.us. He's local. Certified financial planner Jason Qualls. Financial Coaching Radio. Weekdays at 4 on News Radio WGNS. Welcome back. We are talking about drugs. And that can be anything from actual prescriptions to alcohol. Uh, anything that, I guess, changes your mindset and makes you a different person. We have time for maybe one or two more questions. And a, a person's asking, uh, they say, I don't know, but I'm suspicious there's something happening in our family. We're starting to see a few things missing. Uh, is that a warning sign that we should be looking out for? And uh, what, what's our, what should we be doing? Seems like there are a lot of questions out there for people who are concerned. Uh, missing items around the house. Is that, a, is that a clue that something is happening? It's definitely a clue that something's happening. <laughs> it may not necessarily be yeah, what drugs. they. It may not necessarily be what they think's happening, but it's definitely something is happening. Okay, and approach it in the same way, a loving way. What's happening? What? Yeah, I mean, you're always gonna get, you're always gonna get further, being, asking a question and being supportive of it because lo- those questions are not easy questions. It's not like, hey, what mm-hmm. do you want for dinner? It's more <laughs> like. You know, hey, are you doing something wrong or something that can hurt one of us or yourself? I mean, that's a difficult question to ask outright. So it's a question that's asked in the relationship of love, care mm-hmm. for yes. them. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, and Erica, you had uh, gotten a question uh, about something that we may have left out. I believe you got in on your phone. Uh, was it, <laughs> I mean, it sounded like a serious question. Was there a topic that we had left out? It's, it's a good question. That's <laughs> actually yes. So um, we just wanted to maybe touch on how the public could help um, the stop team and in our community, you know, decrease the use of opioids. Oh, what would be a way? How could we do that? Education. Mm-hmm. Our biggest thing is to educate our community um, to how to help stop it. There's so much drug traffic that moves in our community um see something say something you know um most of the people that we deal with or we run into are street level users um so if we can get them educated get them into treatment um and get them back in the community safely um on a good path then that's helping the next person to be educated on how to stop it what kind of age groups are we looking at? I mean, when oh, you look at oh, there, there is no there there is no the age group goes from um, from case experience from sixteen seventeen years old all the way to sixty seven. Yeah. There so we don't no, have any four or five years old six seven eight. No. All the way from the young Just teenage, up. all the young, all the way from young teenage age, all the way to in your sixties, seventies. And the thing about younger people is, everybody talks about marijuana and how it's not, you know, really a drug, and 
let's legalize it and um so what younger people are doing is they're starting to smoke marijuana but what they don't understand is they're lacing it with fentanyl uh to get them addicted um so we've seen a a, a lot of younger people ODing just by smoking marijuana now when a person ODs is it uh dangerous in every situation in in the fentanyl laced marijuana can that kill you can you have yes. an overdose and kill you? Life threatening. oh yes very life-threatening because you're talking about the fentanyl that we're talking about is not your pharmaceutical grade made in a very controlled laboratory you're talking about fentanyl that's made in a large open setting in a country where the laws aren't as stringent or they don't have that kind of control in their shipping and things like that and there's no nothing's regulated as far as the potency of it so you're talking about something that at literally the size of two grains of salt if if a person who has no, zero tolerance to opioids were to inhale that um, it could be life-threatening we have one final question here and I think that's about all we can take on uh, and this person's asking is methamphetamines uh, are they still problems or is that uh, absolutely still very prominent still very prominent because um, the ease of making it the ease of transportation things like that um, still very prominent very good well we want to say thank you to the three of you for joining us this morning visiting with us on the action line Rutherford County Sheriff's Office Detective James McFerrin, and he is with the STOP program at the Sheriff's Office, the strategist and tactics for opioid prevention. And also with us, uh, Erica Herndon. Thank you for joining us. She's with the Prevention Coalition for Success. And also Sergeant uh, Detective James McFerrin and Sergeant James Davis didn't want to leave anybody out, so everybody got extra mention there. Thank you for joining us. Thank Truman's you. coming your way next on WGNS Murfreesboro.